Now I got to switch glasses. Enough with the with the grown up glasses that I can't see through anyways, and put on the reading glasses. So I don't know how many years um, I have been allowed to speak the Father's Day message here at Grace United, but I am always grateful to to Glenn and to you, and especially to God um, for being able to to speak publicly, uh, especially on Father's Day. And now over the years, we have talked about a great many things during my Father's Day sermons. Um, We've talked about the commands that God has given us as men um, to teach our children to be spiritual leaders in our families. We've talked about the importance of of preaching the gospel to our families, and, and we've talked about the importance of living authentically before them. And all these years, you've patiently listened to me even when I've spoken about very uncomfortable truths. And it seems like every year I bring us back to the commands that God gave us in Deuteronomy in chapter 6 and then again in chapter 11. And the command says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk about them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you arise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now there is is so much that um, our children need to be taught, that they need to learn. But you know, it's our responsibility to impress these commands of God on our own hearts as much as it is to repeatedly present them to our children. And this isn't meant to be some type of burden for us. It's not meant to be a one-time occurrence. We're to make this part of our everyday lives. Now, in the same spirit, fathers and, and grandfathers, I've told you it's your responsibility to tell the gospel to your children. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is too important. We cannot leave the presentation of the gospel to some pastor or some preacher or some Sunday school teacher. It's far too important to allow anyone else to teach our children about God's salvation through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just telling the gospel story. We have to live the life of someone that has been transformed, someone who has been changed, someone who has been saved by the gospel. Yes, I am talking about actions. I am talking about works. Not to earn salvation, but in celebration and in worship to our God who's provided that salvation. We can't speak out of one side of our mouths about holiness and repentance while our feet shuffle down the broad way of the world. We must be deliberate in both our words and our actions and carefully seek out that narrow path that leads to righteousness. We also have to have the courage to speak about the truths that God has given us even when they are uncomfortable. 
or unpopular. You know, even though God has provided us with everything that we need in order to know him, few will ever come to know him. Jesus says so himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You know, many who claim to follow Jesus are doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it out of selfish desires or or prideful arrogance because they have a low view of God. To those people Jesus warned, again in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But you know, if we've already talked about all this, if all this has already been spoken, well then what more is there to say? Plenty, actually. So let's get into it. First, you know, I remember when I was a kid, back when there were only four broadcast stations, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS, that was it. And and you could practically plan your calendar around certain special events on television, like the Charlie Brown specials, um, or once a year you got to see the Lord of the Rings cartoon, And in the fall, you had the Wizard of Oz. That was always a big thing in elementary school. I remember asking one another, are you going to watch the Wizard of Oz? Oh, that's scary stuff. But I bet you there's a number of of young people today who have never even seen that movie. And, you know, given how far down the sewer cinematography and movie plots have gone, I'm certain it's no longer considered scary. But it has been in our culture so long that certain aspects of it have taken on a life of their own. Think about it. Flying monkeys, don't make me send my flying monkeys after you. How about the cowardly lion? Or the term behind the curtain? You know, remember when when Dorothy and her her band of travelers finally make it to the Emerald City and they get their audience before the wizard. And there's this booming voice and this ethereal face floating in space and the fire spurts. And the wizard demands that Dorothy and her friends bring him the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West. And then when they finally do, the wizard goes on terrifying the entire group. And then Toto, the little itty bitty dog, runs past and he pulls open the curtain revealing the real man behind the wizard, showing us what was behind the curtain. Well, in a sense, that's what I'm going to do right now. 
I'm going to pull the curtain back and talk about some things that we never talk about. Reveal some difficult and unpopular truths that need to be dragged into the light. Mainly the fact we have enemies. And our enemies have help. And I'm not just talking about Satan, the devil. It's much more pervasive than that. Satan has minions. Satan has pawns, both willing and unwilling, doing his dirty work for him. But I want to put aside the the invisible world of spiritual warfare right now. Because what I want to talk about is the real flesh and blood evil that we encounter every single day. I want to talk about how Satan's methods are manifested in the actions of human beings in order to do what Satan wants done and not in the way that you think. So before we start, I need us, I want us to understand the state of the world that we live in. What I mean by that is I want us to agree with God's assessment of the world as it is today. Ready? Answer this question. Why did God destroy the entire world and everything in it except for what he set aside for himself during the great flood in the days of Noah? Why? It's because the world is corrupted by evil. So then answer me this. Did that fix it? Did that put things back to the way that they were supposed to be? Or is the world exactly the same as it was when the moment the rain started falling with the hearts of men eternally wicked? Just like back then, everyone does what's right in their own eyes today. There is not one righteous soul on this earth. Not one. Now, most people, they don't want to believe in evil or believe in the devil, even in the church. And, you know, that's exactly the way Satan wants it. And for those who do choose to actually believe in the devil, he wants them to believe in this silly little caricature of a devil, you know, someone who's virtually harmless, a funny devil. But, you know, that's far from the truth. Jesus warns us. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what the enemy tries to do each and every day. And not just Satan himself. Each and every one of us comes into contact with minions, with partners, with pawns of Satan every single day. Fortunately, most of the time, we're only lied to by them. On one hand, we're told that people are are mostly good and that practically no one would be willing to serve Satan. Yet on the other hand, they tell us there is no God. They present us with maybe a lowly view of God 
We're confronted with false gospels. We're confronted with heresy. Every form of lie imaginable. We're pummeled repeatedly trying to get us to submit to and to believe in these lies. And it's all with an intent to divide us from the one perfect relationship that we all need for salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the way that Satan works, through lies. Jesus revealed that and reminded us in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, where he said, When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet all of Satan's lies contain a little seed of truth, making it so very enticing to us as fallen mortals. And so in our depravity, we are just like him as a species. Listen to what the psalmist say. Psalm 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Psalm 12, 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. So think about the lies that we're told. Lies like God's not real or God's not powerful or that we do not need to fear God. Even preachers lie to us and say that we can have whatever we want as long as we pray hard enough and give enough money and as long as we're in the will of God. Other pastors lie to us preaching universalism telling us that there's no need for repentance or that good works are are not only unnecessary, some of them say it's an affront to God that we're trying to add to the gospel. We're taught to tolerate evil, even in the church. And in every aspect of our lives, we're taught to accept idolatry. It's all lies. So if everything that we're being presented to with is a lie, how are we ever going to discover the truth? And if you're being presented with lies about spiritual matters, what makes you think that you're being presented with truth in other matters? Are you really going to believe almost everything that you've been told because you think that you can somehow correctly filter out which is truth and which is a lie. My children, my family, my church, listen to me. If anyone ever tells you anything about God or Jesus or salvation or heaven or anything spiritual, the first thing I want you to do is look in the Bible and see, did Jesus say the same thing? Now, if Jesus didn't say it, Look in the Bible. Did God say it to us through a prophet? Well, if God didn't say it through a prophet, or Jesus didn't say it during his ministry, then again, look in the Bible. Did one of the apostles preach it and teach it under the authority of Christ? 
If none of the above, you've been lied to. And it's not just matters of faith. See, it's not like we can believe everything that anyone tells us as long as it doesn't pertain to God or Jesus or the Bible. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Everything that we are told, if you're a Christian, you must assume is a lie trying to throw you off that narrow path of righteousness, even in the most mundane of things. And so just like what we do with spiritual matters, we need to do with every topic, research and confirm. Academics. Can we prove that 2 plus 2 equals 4? Of course we can. So why can't we do our own research within the realms of science, of literature, of mathematics, of history? We certainly can. We need to do this in everything. Why? Because we need to be careful when we start to accept people's opinion as truth, whether it's in academia, whether it's in social settings or the workplace or the classroom or public forums, and because that's exactly what we have been doing. We have been accepting opinion as truth. We're told what to wear. We're told how to look. We're told what to say and what not to say. We can't criticize. We can only embrace. We must tolerate anything and everything except what we've been taught by Christ, by the prophets, and by the apostles. Well, that's lies. It's all lies. Now, I'm not saying that we need to call out each and every person for every single lie that they tell. Actually, that's not even helpful. I mean, you see, getting into an argument with the boss or with the teacher or with the police or with the professor, it's probably not the best idea. I mean, that can cause a great deal of harm, far more than what it's worth. So, what we need to do is think about and sometimes just let the lies roll off of our backs like water off of a duck. You could probably say the same thing about certain politicians or internet trolls, especially the way tracking and surveillance is going nowadays. But sometimes we do need to be proactive in exposing lies within our family, within our church. But when we do it, no matter where we do it, we must do it with a gentle approach and with an attitude of love. But let's go a little bit further. It's not enough to just pull back the curtain and reveal the man behind the wizard. We need to know the motivation, the purpose behind it. Why are we so overwhelmed with lies in this life? Why do so many people try so hard to pull the wool over our eyes? And I'm not talking about their own self-serving agendas. I'm not talking about trying to gain 
power, influence, or greed. I mean, what is Satan trying to do to us by lying to us? Now, really, the answer to that has two parts. It has the means and the ends. The means is fear. They want us to fear. Fear them, fear our situation, fear the unknown, fear the immediate, fear the future, even fear missing out. They want us fearful because when we're afraid, we're easy to control. Think about it. You know, at home, I finally unplugged and put away the emergency weather radio because I got sick and tired of that thing going off every time there was a thunderstorm in Mecklenburg County. You know, overall, we've become less and less at risk to natural disasters because of things like better science, new construction techniques, good building codes, and and being personally prepared. Yet have you noticed Nowadays, every storm that forms during hurricane season is the worst ever to hit wherever it's going to hit. I mean, they tell us we've never seen a storm this big and this powerful in, insert name of town here. They tell us that the potential death toll because of the storm and the imminent destruction is going to be mind-numbing. And then in the wintertime, Every time there's a snowstorm coming, it's the next snowmageddon. It's going to shut us down for weeks. Grocery stores are stripped bare of everything because we're told that trucks and emergency services aren't even going to be able to get through. It's a winter apocalypse almost upon us. We need to panic. We even close down schools now and make the children shelter in place because the wind blows hard. During a thunderstorm. Face it. We live in fear. And I'm not going to get into other topics. Think about it. Fear. It's used to silence us. It's used to conform us. It's used to control us. It is all around and in every aspect of our lives. And I don't think that there has been a time in living memory of any American where fear has been stoked to the level that it has been in 2020. Even here in the church. You know, in many places right here in the United States, it's considered hate speech to preach the gospel. We have to embrace and celebrate ideals and behaviors against our religious beliefs. We have to marginalize our worship service and embrace social norms of idolatry and acknowledge false gods. And we're forced to do it all under duress because we live in fear. Satan doesn't want us teaching people about who God is. Satan doesn't want us living the commands that Jesus gave us. Satan doesn't want us to preach the gospel and tell people the truth about sin and about salvation. Satan does not want us to repent 
of our sins and do the good works that God has prepared for us. Satan wants us living in fear. But you know, it's God that we should fear. It's God that has the power to create and to destroy. It's Christ who has the authority to condemn. It's the Holy Spirit that has the power to convict. That's what we should be in fear of, at least until we have a right relationship with God. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ. Yet we live in fear. And if we live in fear, well, that provides Satan with the perfect means to use one of his most perfect tools to our perfect demise. Now we're talking about the ends, what Satan wants to actually achieve. You see, Satan and his minions, they foster within us this attitude of fear. We fear words, we fear actions, we fear one another. And that separates us from one another, divides us. King Solomon said, And although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The ends that Satan seeks is a division among us, disunity in the church, a breaking of our relationship with God. When we live in fear, there is no trust. Where there is no trust, there is no love. Where there is no love, Satan reigns supreme. Separate us from one another using fear as a catalyst, and then Satan can attack us any way he wants without reproof. Where there was once trust, now there's jealousy. Where there was once love, now there is hatred. And soon, all of us are writhing in despair and misery. But that's not the way it should be. Think of all the times in the Bible where we are told, do not fear. Well, in order for us to not live in fear, we need to reject the lies of the world. Which lies? All of the lies. And to reject the lies of the world, that means that we need to embrace the truth. What truth? The truth that is Jesus Christ. The truth that has been communicated to us by his life and by his teachings. The truth professed by the prophets and by the apostles. Now let's take a few minutes and we're going to expose some of the lies that these lying liars use against us. First, is God weak, distant, disconnected from our lives, careless about what occurs here on earth and in our daily lives personally? Or do you believe that God the Creator is all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, and caring? Choose one. Because you can't believe both. You can't say that you believe God with your mouth 
and then say with your actions and with your mind that you do not. If that's the case, then your heart betrays you and you do not know God. How about mankind? Is mankind basically good with kind intentions? Or do you believe God who said through the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Are we all on different paths to heaven? Or do you believe Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father except through me? Do we have freedom in Christ so that our sins don't matter? Or do you believe the Apostle Paul who said, by no means, how can we who died to sin live in it? Do you believe that everyone worships the same God except under different names? Do you believe that you can have your best life now and that God will remove all of your obstacles and pains and disappointments if you just believe enough, pray enough, and give enough? Do you believe that truth can be found in philosophy or art or meditation or music or anything other than the Bible? Do you believe that a kind and loving God would never condemn a soul to hell for eternity? The Gospels expose all of these as lies, yet we're still told them again and again, repeatedly. Tell a lie long enough, and eventually people will start to believe it. But Jesus said that he was the truth. Jesus taught us about life, about how to live, about heaven and God himself. Jesus said, if we love him, we would keep his commands. He said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus continues, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Again, John 14, verses 22 and 24. Finally, he goes on later and says, If you keep my commands you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. John chapter 15, verse 10. Now the one unquestionable authority on truth is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God himself manifest in flesh. Three times, Jesus explains, if you love me, you will obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. That's pretty straightforward. 
See, there's no playing around with the truth that Christ has given us. In the beginning of his ministry, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus warned, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7.23. And then again, near the end of his ministry, Jesus, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then he goes on to say, And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, that's pretty straightforward. If we love Jesus, we will believe and obey Jesus. And we will therefore have a relationship with Jesus. And here, I'm talking about a real relationship, not one that's imagined or pretend. You know, you see all the time people have this tendency to believe that they have a relationship with someone when one no relationship really exists. Maybe it's like a celebrity or a, a social media influencer or a media personality. Maybe it's a political leader or an author. It's all because they know so much about that person. So they feel like they have this relationship with them, when in reality that person, the other person, doesn't even know that they exist. Many people pretend that they have a relationship with Jesus when they don't. That's what he's warning us about. So how do you know if you do? Or what do you do if you want a relationship with Christ? It's called repentance. Stop believing the lies of the world and start believing Jesus. And I don't mean some of the lies. I mean all of the lies. Not just the theological or the philosophical ones. All of them. All of the lies that have placed you in a position of fear and of anxiety. All the lies that have fostered mistrust and division in your heart. All the lies that drive you to desperation and loneliness. The lies that compel you to seek out security and safety through compliance to worldly authority, to men, to Satan. Believe Jesus instead. Jesus said, that we are to do good works to bring glory and honor to the Father. Jesus said that we are to live in a right relationship with one another within the church, forgiving one another and being quick to reconcile our differences. Jesus said that, that we're to be, we are to guard our hearts and our minds and not allow sin to corrupt us. We're not to, to seek out earthly accolades or praises from our peers, but to be confident in our reward in heaven. We're not to chase after wealth or treasure or material things, but to be content with what we have and what we're provided. Jesus said 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus said that we are to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and that all things will be added to us. Now stop for a moment right there and think about this. The kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom. Do you value it? If so, how much? Does your life give testimony to how you value eternity with God? Or do your actions betray you? Do you have idols in your life that you value more than God? Do you seek out the rewards of men more than you seek out heavenly rewards? If you do, you're not believing God. There is no greater gift than the gift of salvation that has been made available to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. There is nothing that we can do to earn entrance to heaven or to gain enough favor with God to cover our sins. God is perfect. And, and sin cannot be in the presence of God. There's a great many people who, who reject God and the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so there's going to be a great many people condemned to hell for eternity. Meanwhile, the very act of God condemning them is going to bring God glory for his justice, for his righteousness all by granting those people their heart's desire to have nothing to do with God. Yet we're told that few heed the call of the Holy Spirit. Few will listen to the words that I've spoken today and read the words of Jesus and the prophets and make the conscious decision to believe God and believe Jesus, but to those few who do, the Holy Spirit will come upon them and take up residence in your hearts and impress upon you the truth. To those few, Jesus will look upon them on the day of judgment and say the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So enough of the lies that the world has told you, enough 
of the fear that Satan has tried to impress on your hearts. Believe the words of Jesus. Believe the truths of God. Renew your hearts. Renew your minds this very day. Recognize the value of the gift of eternity that you have been offered. Recognize that you demonstrate your love for Christ and for the Father by the actions that are driven by your heart. My family, my children, my church, don't let this day pass you by if you have not set your heart on eternity. Obey the Lord. Believe Jesus Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Follow him and pass from death to life everlasting. Believe him and all will be well. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today in celebration of who you are. Creator God perfect redeemer God who sacrificed all that we might be able to come to you in prayer and in worship we thank you for the word that you have given us through your prophets through the apostles and by your own lips as you walked upon the earth and preached your ministry We ask you to give us courage to stand against the world. We ask you to give us wisdom to open our eyes, open our ears, that we might recognize the lies that are presented to us. And we ask you to use the Holy Spirit within us to condemn those lies, to give us the courage to turn around and walk away from the world and to say, I believe Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity. No, you have given us many opportunities. Each day, a new opportunity to willingly bow our knee to you and cry out to you, Lord, Lord, And we thank you that no matter what happens in our lives, that you are willing to accept us as your children, all because of the sacrifice that Christ has made. So Father, as a father myself, give me courage to continue to speak these words to my children. Give me the strength to be able to stand within my community, within my church as a strong pillar so that people might know that you are my Lord and that I will not be swayed from your truths. Father, we ask you to give our church opportunities to reach out into the community and preach your gospel of salvation. Father, we ask that you accept the worship that we have given. 
and that you soften our hearts that we might come to know you even greater. And as we prepare to do our giving, Father, we ask that you accept our offerings, giving back to you what is not ours to begin with, what is rightfully yours, and that you use the offering to further your work here at Grace United and in Hanover County, Mechanicsville, Virginia, and throughout the world through our missionaries, your missionaries. All this we pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. I want to encourage you. If you don't know who Jesus is, and you don't understand the sacrifice that he has made for us, and you don't understand the true value of salvation and eternity with God, I beg you to reach out. Reach out to Grace United. Reach out to Pastor Glenn. If you want to, ask Pastor Glenn to get in touch with me, and I will talk with you. I will pray with you. And if there's anybody here who hasn't bowed the knee to the knee to Christ or who wants to recommit their life to Christ, then I want you to do so now as we prepare to sing our final hymn. Because there is no greater gift than the forgiveness of our sins and the blessed eternity that awaits us as children of God.